if you know that you were put on the pill for an issue, then you need to know that that issue is very likely still there. And so when you're thinking about how to plan ahead for pregnancy, it's worthwhile to consider coming off the pill quite a bit sooner. A lot of women come off the pill, you know, a couple months before they're ready to, to start trying. I say a minimum of 18 months to two years. And I know that that sounds like a really long time, but especially if you were put on the pill for a specific problem, then I would certainly encourage you to think of it. It's like buying insurance. You hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Thinking about going on the pill because your doctor said so, or you've been told that it will fix your period or your menstrual cycle issues. Now, before you make this big decision that impacts your overall health, not even your reproductive health, it's so much more, do you have all the facts? Did your doctor tell you all the facts? For instance, did you know that as many as half of the women who use the pill stop taking it within the first year of usage? I remember back when I was 18 years old, when I started taking the pill, I lasted almost a year and immediately came off of it because there were so many severe side effects. So I definitely fell into that 50%. And that really, what that breaks down to is that's one out of every two women who take it. And here's why. In case you haven't heard, the side effects can be pretty nasty and can lead to even bigger side effects down the road because the pill, unfortunately, doesn't fix anything. It simply turns off and suppresses your menstrual cycle and most specifically, ovulation. Now, in case you want a deeper dive into hearing more about this, how the pill messes with your cycle, what are some of the big period myths out there, what happens when your menstrual cycle becomes irregular, what are some of the causes? Well, I had an episode in the cold jardim earlier this year, episode 186, where we get into the nitty gritty of period myths. But I also cover a little bit about this on episode 217, just a couple weeks ago, where I break down progesterone deficiency and how in the pill or taking the pill, not only does ovulation get shut down, but progesterone gets shut down and it can take a minute to get those two back up and running. So what I wanted to share, because I feel like it's important that we do have all the facts, is I want to share some of the biggest side effects, and I mean, let me count the ways that hormonal birth control can mess with your body. Now, this list is extensive, so hold tight. Here we go. Depression, anxiety, panic attacks, loss of libido, painful sex, difficulty orgasming, or a major reduce in sensation, clitoral shrinkage, recurrent yeast infections, ovarian shrinkage, multiple nutrient deficiencies, nutrient deficiencies such as B vitamins, zinc, selenium, magnesium, CoQ10, vitamin C, vitamin E, the list goes on, migraines, suppressed thyroid function, increased risk of autoimmune disorders such as endometriosis and Hajimoto's, increased risk of cervical, liver, uterine, and breast cancer, increased risk of stroke, pulmonary embolism, and deep vein thrombosis, and then also a temporary delay in the return of fertility or even infertility. Woo, holy crap. I don't know about you, but why isn't everyone talking about this? These side effects, when you look at them, when you read them, you think to yourself, ooh, we need to be talking more about this because I feel like we have a big problem on our hands. There's a lot of women experiencing very negative side effects from taking hormonal birth control, and that includes IUDs with hormones in them. Now, the biggest concern for many of us and for my amazing guest today, Lisa Hendrickson-Jack, is informed consent. Lisa and I both agree that you have the right to know about these crazy side effects, and you also have the right to know about all of your birth control options, both hormonal and non-hormonal, including fertility awareness. Only then can you truly make an informed decision about your body and your health. Now, real talk, I got out of hormonal birth control at 19 years old, and I didn't get pregnant until I was 40 years old. And that's because that was when I was actually ready to start having a family. Now, full disclosure, there was a little teeny brief time at the age of 33 when I used a copper IUD for eight months. 
and finally had to take that sucker out because the side effects again that I experienced with this IUD were, ugh, they were not fun and I definitely wasn't gonna continue on using it. From then on, I just tracked my period and I used condoms and it worked out great. So today's episode, I'm gonna be featuring Lisa where she's gonna come onto the show and really we're gonna break down for you not only how to chart your menstrual cycle and talk about natural birth control, conception, and overall health monitoring, but we're going to be connecting in to the current scientific literature, really talking about an evidence-based approach to fertility awareness and menstrual cycle optimization. Because at the end of the day, when your menstrual cycle is optimized, it is an indicator of what is going on with the rest of your body. And we all deserve our bodies to be fully functioning. I believe very much that this is a conversation that's needed in this culture when suppressing our cycle with synthetic birth control is normal and highly encouraged without informed consent. It's perspectives like Lisa's that open the door to taking control of our health in a massive way. So now let's dive into this incredible conversation with Lisa Henderson-Jack, but first I want to sing her praises. Lisa is a certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner. She teaches women how to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. Her book, The Fifth Vital Sign, she is literally debunking the myth that regular ovulation is not only important, not only when you have children, but also it is important as a vital sign. So she's drawing from all of the newest research to demonstrate that fertility awareness and menstrual cycle optimization should be on everyone's priority list when it comes to our overall health. Now, she's also the host of Fertility Friday podcast, a weekly radio show devoted to helping women connect to their fifth vital sign by uncovering the connection between the menstrual cycle, fertility, and overall health. Let's welcome her onto the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Lisa Henderson-Jack. How are you doing today, girl? I am so good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is such a blessing. I'm so excited to have you on the show. You are one of my favorite people. I'm always sending people your way. And today what we're going to be talking about is in your wheelhouse, and that is mastering your cycles and optimizing your fertility. I have so many people reaching out to me every day asking, you know, how can they get their cycle ready? How can they they step into preparing for fertility? And how is it all interconnected? And why does it even matter that we get our cycle in sync, even if we're not really thinking about kids right at this moment? Now, before we get into all of the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of all of that, I would love for you to just take a moment and share with me kind of what was that defining moment for you when you knew you wanted to talk about our menstrual cycles, you wanted to really let women know that this is a vital sign for us. It's hard to say what specific moment, but I would say a big part of it for me was first discovering that everything I had learned about my menstrual cycle was actually not even true. So learning that we can get pregnant every single day and and feeling a lot of fear around that when I- Every day. Every single day. (laughs) No safeties. (laughs) No safety. Any day, someone can sneeze on you. Yeah. It felt like a, like an imminent threat. And so when I was embroaching, you know, that part of my life where I was becoming sexually active, it was terrifying. And so fortunately for me, right around that time is when I discovered that that actually wasn't true and that there's a specific defined fertile window that you can identify through cycle tracking. So that was the first phase of my journey because of course I felt like every woman needs to know this because she does. And it really changed the trajectory of my life. But I would say um, a big part of what brought me to where I am today was that when I started tracking, so I was young, I was uh, 18 or 19 when I first started tracking. And I remember reading all these books and learning that the cycle wasn't always 28 days. And my cycle was not healthy. I had an issue with my thyroid that was undetected. And so my cycles were regularly, you know, over 38 days fairly consistent, but still way too long. My temperature was low. And I remember my charting instructor, she looked at my chart and she was like, Lisa, your temperatures are too low. Your cycles are too long. I think you need to go get your thyroid checked. And I I was like, what? It totally blew my mind that someone could, because I just thought it was about birth control. So it totally blew my mind that someone could look at my chart and identify a health issue. 
And that subsequently, when I, you know, got that under control and addressed that, that my cycle actually improved and is now within the normal range. So I would say that those two moments are likely kind of those two pivotal points, learning about this charting stuff, but then learning that it's more than just about the practical aspects and it's actually a sign of health. That's what really brought me to where I am now. Mm. And that really speaks into our cycle, our menstrual cycle being a fifth vital sign. Can you speak into what that means and why we should be considering that in today's world, navigating what's going on with our bodies? Well, I think one way into the answer to that question is if men had a biomarker that they could track that was responsive to illness and health and and really allowed them to kind of optimize what was happening with their lives. You and I both know that it would be everywhere, all over. It would be all that they would talk about. There would be billboards everywhere. So just from that standpoint, the fact that we don't talk about our menstrual cycles and the the fact that most of us don't know that it is like a vital sign, uh, that speaks volumes. And I'll just kind of leave that right there. So, you know, vital sign, the most common vital signs that we're familiar with, of course, are heart rate, body temperature, respiratory rate, blood pressure. And, you know, everyone who's listening will understand intuitively that there's a normal range for all of these vital signs. And if you're out of range, not only does it tell your doctor that there's something wrong, but obviously if the blood pressure is too low, there's a certain number of conditions that could cause that. So it gives this roadmap of, okay, this is where we should look first. And so what many of us don't realize is that the menstrual cycle serves much the same purpose. So the first thing to understand is that there is such a thing as a normal menstrual cycle. So to understand what the normal parameters are, which of course we can go through if you want to, and then understanding that it's not just random and it's not just something we have to put up with. If the parameter is off, it's actually an indication that there's something that is off. And when you correct that underlying factor, the menstrual cycle falls into line. So it's this amazing, incredible tool that has the potential to notify you if there's a health issue. Women of reproductive age should have normal, healthy, regular menstrual cycles. And if we have that as an expectation of what optimal health looks like, then it would make perfect sense to actually look at that as a valid health marker if, it, if it's off. I would love for you to dive into, because I have a feeling a lot of women have been told that their inconsistent cycles or their severe PMS symptoms or their short luteal cycle, it's all just normal. So can you speak to me and all of us about what is considered an optimal cycle? What would we be looking out for? Mm-hmm. I think it's an important question because when I say menstrual cycle, often women will tell me, they'll still start telling me about their periods. Yes, that's, so, that's, the, that's it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's more than just that. So when I'm looking at what a healthy cycle looks like, I'm really looking at the whole cycle from the start, you know, the first day of your period until the last day before the next one. So we can look at the overall length of the cycle. So a healthy cycle can range typically anywhere from about 24 to 35 days with an average of about 29 days. And that is important because a lot of women think that if their cycle isn't exactly 28 days, that that means it's irregular. Like if sometimes it's 27 days and then it's 32 days, that that's a problem. And so the definition of an irregular cycle is a cycle that varies by more than about eight days from cycle to cycle. So certainly if it's like 29 days and then 45 and then like 32 and then like 46, or if they're regularly over 35 days, or if you're having fewer than about eight or nine cycles a year, that falls into the definition of what we would consider irregular. So that's helpful to know. Um, And then when we dive into the menstrual cycle, so let's start with the period. So, you know, what a healthy period looks like, you know, we're looking at about three to seven days, about five days on average. So, you know, from the start to the stop of your bleeding, we would expect the bleeding to be a variant of red. So, you know, sometimes you may have some brown spotting or some pink spotting and your period may look like wine or it might even look like a bright red color. If you're seeing black bleeding or like crushed blueberries, that's something to be aware of because that can be a sign of old blood that is oxidized. So if you're having a lot of pain, so this is something that I've been talking about at every possible instance. But so many women believe that pain is just a part of menstruation and that it's just something that we have to grin and bear. And so although it's very common and a lot of women experience varying degrees of pain with their cycle, it's helpful that someone says out loud that outside of menstruation, we don't consider pain to be normal. 
you know, pain is a sign of inflammation, tissue damage. And so if you experience moderate to severe pain with your period that requires you to take medication, it's important to know, I mean, common as that is, that doesn't make it normal. And it, it's a sign that we should be looking at inflammation. And if the pain is severe, we should be looking at other possible causes. So just so that someone has said it to you out loud <laughs> and that you've heard that. And it is possible to not have pain and to overcome pain. So that's the period. And I'll mention a few more things about the period. So, you know, you would expect it, I always say it should be like a sentence, like it should have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then it's over. It typically starts moderate to heavy and then gradually declines. So you typically lose the most blood during the first couple of days and then gradually stops off. So if you're having bleeding that lasts like a week, 10 days, and it just doesn't stop, if you have bleeding throughout your cycle or at other times, those are things that you should be aware of. That's outside of what's normal. So then after we go past the period, so what typically happens in the cycle is that once your period is finished, you have what we call dry days. So a few days before you start to see cervical fluid. So cervical fluid can be like clear and stretchy, like raw egg whites. It can be um, like lotion, like hand lotion, uh, white and kind of sticky. And it can also be a feeling and sensation when you're wiping of really lubricative like a <laughs> type of thing. And so as you approach ovulation in your cycle, you would expect to have a couple days between your period to when you start to see your cervical fluid. And then you would expect to see anywhere from about two to seven days leading up to ovulation. And you would then expect to ovulate. And once, so ov- ov- obviously in a healthy cycle, ovulation needs to happen. And so once you ovulate, you would expect that your cervical fluid actually dries up. So you have this great, you know, exciting, fun cervical fluid. I think of it as exciting and fun anyways. <laughs> I think it's exciting and fun as well. <laughs> We're getting ready. And I don't know if you think of the of ovulation as kind of the main event or not. I definitely, I mean, it's all so important, but I is, it is very exciting. I mean, that's kind of what we're uh, trying to gear up for. Absolutely. Well, I mean, ovulation in many ways should be the thing that we focus our attention on. You know, the period is very obvious. It's the most obvious outward sign of the menstrual cycle. So we focus on that. And of course, it's blood, bleeding. And so there's so much around that. But, you know, a true menstrual cycle can't occur without ovulation. So really, the process of follicular development that leads up to ovulation, that's how we make our hormones. That's how we make estrogen. And there's a lot of mood changes that typically happen. Many women notice that they have more energy and they feel more outgoing around that time. Not a hard and fast rule, but many women do. And then after ovulation, well, that's when you make your progesterone and continue to make your estrogen. So this is this main focus of the reproductive cycle that allows us to make these fantastic reproductive hormones. So then once you ovulate in a healthy cycle, you would expect to have your period about 12 to 14 days after. And as you you alluded to, you know, the issue with luteal phase length and things like that. So the period of time between ovulation and your next period is what we call the luteal phase. And, you know, when you're trying to, in, in general, so for general health, it is important to have a healthy luteal phase, 12 to 14 days. Uh, because that indicates that you have a good amount of progesterone related to estrogen um, that keeps your hormones in balance when you have strong progesterone, fewer PMS symptoms, just generally. And it's also linked to, you know, seemingly unrelated areas of health, like your bone health, your heart health, your breast health. And your emotional health. And your emotional health. Very important. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so that balance of hormones is is crucial just for maintaining this, this normal state of health. But when you're trying to conceive, if you don't have a long enough luteal phase, then by the time the egg has been fertilized, you know, if your luteal phase is only eight days or seven days or something like that, then you, you know, by the time that egg is supposed to be implanting, you're already getting your period. So very important. So I'll stop there, but that basically gives a nice overview of what a healthy cycle is. And I think at least for some of the women listening, it's a lot more than you would have thought because you might've thought it's just your period or the overall length. I love that you did. I mean, I know that there's, we didn't get into all of the details of it and your book does such a marvelous job at doing that, the the fifth vital sign. Um, but I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to go through the different phases and what what is considered normal for us throughout the different phases and really just bringing attention to more than just the period, which I know many of us think that that's the main event <laughs> and how important ovulation is in terms of the regulation and balancing of our hormones. Now that you talked a little bit about that kind of defining moment for you or kind of that aha moment where, you know, you had a count, someone looking at your, your cycle, all the chart 
and notice that your your temperature was low um, and that your cycle was longer than was kind of in that normal range. And that really kind of lended to a potential thyroid concern, which lo and behold, there ended up being one. What are some of the other most common health conditions that could be disrupting our menstrual cycle? Clearly thyroid is one of those. But I know that there's a lot of things that are going on in our body that can absolutely throw off our reproductive hormones. Well, I mean, PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, is a really common issue that throws off the cycle. And I think when you say PCOS, it sounds like it's an issue of ovulation, you know, like that's the root. But what's interesting is that it's a metabolic condition characterized by inflammation, glucose intolerance, insulin resistance. And so what essentially you're experiencing in, I mean, women who have PCOS have a greater lifetime chance of getting diabetes. So you're essentially seeing a metabolic process that's going awry. And the disruption in ovulation is merely a, um, a response to that. Kind of like a side effect. Exactly. Uh, because of the, you know, the inflammation, the hormonal dysregulation disruption is really interfering with that natural process. And so, I mean, it's unfortunate that we live in a world where we're not looking at the menstrual cycle as a vital sign because often if you, so the classic way that, that PCOS shows up on the chart would be long regular cycles. So that, you know, over 35 days and having less than, you know, eight or nine cycles a year. And then you may also have those hyperandrogen type symptoms, you know, acne, cystic acne, or hirsutism, like the, the male pattern hair growth and things like that. So you, you know, typically we'll see these other signs, but in the chart, you often see these long irregular cycles. You see long um, mucus patches. So, you know, many days of mucus, and then it's like your body's working towards ovulation, estrogen is rising, and then it stops, and then it happens again and stops. So many, many, you know, some women have many, many, many days of mucus, which can make charting. You can still chart, but it can obviously make it a little bit of a challenge. Um, but this is the classic way it shows up. So it's easy to think, oh, this is just related to my cycles. And so our, you know, we just put women on the pill because then they get a regular bleed. But what we're not addressing is the underlying metabolic issue that if, if addressed can actually result in a normal cycle. So that's one example. Hypothalamic amenorrhea, I always like to point that out because so that's a situation that's characterized by undernutrition, overexercise, and stress. And so, you know, we often think of athletes, women who are <laughs> Olympians, but a lot of women work out a lot. It's, it, there's a lot of, it's really common, you know, in my practice, sometimes I'm working with women. And so, <laughs> for example, it's really common in certain circles to be working out five, six, seven days a week hard, even more than once a day, and to not think anything of that not knowing that if you're not, you know, really compensating and ensuring that you're getting enough to eat and getting enough rest, that that can significantly disrupt your cycles. So I think what's important, again, our culture says, oh, you don't have a period, let's put you on the bill and let's make a bleed. But, you know, women who have uh, this loss, so they, they are not ovulating, so they stop menstruating for six months or more, are more likely to develop osteoporosis in their lifetime. And I've spoken to some women in their 20s who did have an osteoporosis diagnosis because of prolonged amenorrhea. So this is a pretty big deal. Even if you don't want to have kids, you, you know, right now or, you know, even ever, it doesn't mean you don't want to have healthy bones and you don't want to have overall, you know, lower risk of diabetes and these types of things. And so just to kind of, you know, those are some of the bigger signs, but a few other things to just throw in there. You know, if you have chronic gut problems, different infections, underlying infections, things that are disrupting your digestion. It's not uncommon for those types of issues to also disrupt the cycle. So whether that is delaying ovulation, whether that is abnormal cervical mucus patterns, that's something I've seen where if you have certain food sensitivities, it's like you see these you know, mucus all the time or even irregular bleeding sometimes depending on the severity of the, the reaction to whatever it is. So again, looking at the cycle as a kind of diagnostic tool, you always want to remember what's normal, what's not. And various health issues, even things you wouldn't necessarily think of, if you are seeing a consistent pattern of cycle disruptions that are falling outside of the normal, that is a sign that we should be looking deeper into what's happening. Mm, I love that. I think that's so, so important. Uh, one of the things I see in the demographic that I take care of is women are in their 40s with gut and liver issues is we'll start to see estrogen dominance, so really heavy periods, maybe the development of fibroids extreme PMS symptoms, fibrocystic breast, migraines, all of that. And that's really, really uncomfortable as well. 
And, you know, always looking at, again, the gut and the liver. And I mean, clearly there's so much for us to be looking at and investigating. Lisa, in, in kind of, clearly I know that some of these things can be like PCOS can, can, there's so many telltale signs that show us there versus maybe thyroid issues. We know that there's a lot of other signs and symptoms for a thyroid issue as well, although it can go relatively undetected for a little bit. Is there anywhere that we should start first when it comes to knowing, you know, I know we just talked about multiple different concerns, health concerns related to throwing off our menstrual cycle. Anywhere that you recommend that we do, we do, should we just run that thyroid panel? Should we just run that Dutch test? Where is a good place for us to start, especially if we don't have a doctor that's really, that, especially every doctor we go to keeps telling us to go on the <laughs> pill. Like that's the answer. <laughs> and I mean, we're like, okay, well, that's not what I'm looking for here. You know, where would I start if I had to go on this journey potentially on my own? That's such a good question. I think that one of the fantastic things about where we are right now as a culture is that there is so much information available and good information as well. I mean, I have a certain outlook on life since I teach charting. And so, of course, I encourage women, if you resonate with this, certainly to consider charting your cycles and start to pay attention to your patterns, what's normal with for you, and start to get a sense of whether or not your menstrual cycle fits into normal parameters. The best advice I can give to someone who is starting on their own and really trying to figure it out would be to do a combination of listening to some great informative podcasts like yours. If you have an issue specifically or you, you're concerned you may have an issue with thyroid, there are specific podcasts that focus on that. There's the Thyroid Answers podcast. I interviewed the doctors that source that. So I would say in this day and age, you want to have your head on, like you want to make sure that you do a little bit of digging and, you know, look at the backgrounds of the, the folks that you're listening to. And you know what I mean? Just do a little bit of due diligence there. But certainly we're in a time when there is a lot of really excellent information and it's not hard to search for some really credible places to start. And the other thing I would suggest, of course, is to start reading. So there's amazing practitioners some MDs, some functional, some NDs who have written incredible, incredible books. And Marisa, you and I both have podcasts and I'm sure that we can both attest. I mean, I've interviewed incredible practitioners in all areas. And when you go to the person who has really devoted their practice to a specific topic, who's really focused and honed both that scientific research aspect and also the clinical aspect, and then they write a book <laughs> after they have 20 years of experience. There's so much good information out there. And I could certainly rattle off a couple of books for thyroid, for PCOS, as, as could you. And so for someone who's really wanting to do this on their own, that's definitely the first step, in my opinion. Agreed. And and I absolutely, you know, I'm so, so grateful that there are women like yourself in the world doing this work. You know, your book is incredible. It's an incredible guidebook, The Fifth Vital Sign. One of our dear friends, Nicole Jardim, who came out with the book, Fix Your Period. Again, and on every topic, you go onto Amazon, you, go, you can easily go check people out. Definitely amazing practitioners in the realm of PCOS, in the realm of estrogen dominance, um, the perimenopause spectrum, autoimmune conditions, thyroid conditions. And, and what's so great about a, a book, you know, I'm such a proponent for, for books, is that that I talk about what, what has been poured into that book, you know, decades or years of expertise and research. And often on, you know, whether you're buying them on Amazon, we're, you know, we're buying them online these days, let's be honest. <laughs> They're like $12. You know, it's the cheapest education you can get your hands on. And so you're right. We are very well resourced. Um, and I'm so grateful that you mentioned that, that if you do, if you are feeling alone, if your doctor keeps giving you the runaround about birth control and, and you know, but you're like, I know better than that. I've heard enough people, you know, and, and it's time for you to kind of step out and really kind of self-discover. Um, I think for each and every one of us as women, it's really, really important. I would even say critical to understanding how our bodies work, not only potentially for, for reproductive health, but also for longevity. You talk about osteoporosis. We talk about heart health, brain health. All of these things are connected to the, the balance of our hormones and ultimately our hormones are running the show. <laughs> they're, they're running the roost. 
And so if we can really understand how they work and understand how our bodies work, which we, each of us, of us, we deserve that much, then we can really navigate this a little bit better with, with ease and grace. Well, and one concept that I want to draw attention to, I mean, we're basically taught that it doesn't matter if we have cycles or not, because I mean, many women may not realize, but of course, when you're on the pill or most contraceptives, it's, it's not giving you a period. You are suppressing ovulation. So you're actually shutting down your reproductive system and you're having um, a withdrawal bleed or a fake bleed, depending on what you want. It's, it's Let's real just call blood. It fake. Let's <laughs> call it fake. <laughs> okay, fake. So it's you're bleeding. It's real blood, but it's not a mens. It's not a menstrual period. So a concept that I just want to introduce, though, is this idea that if you do cycle naturally and you li- you know you go through your reproductive years, making your estrogen as you approach ovulation, making your progesterone as you approach your period, that cyclical you know flow rhythm, whatever you want to call it, many women in this space have you know, strongly suggested that having those healthy cycles, having that normal hormone production throughout your reproductive years can potentially help you go through menopause easier. It can be protective. And one idea that I'm kind of still playing with, but I, you know, you kind of see in action. If you're cycling normally throughout your reproductive years, you know, at some point you get sick of feeling like garbage. Like if you feel like garbage before, (laughs) maybe a garbage is a strong word, but if you don't feel good, if you have strong, heavy, you know, outrageous PMS symptoms before your period, if you have tons of pain, at some point when you're cycling naturally, you're not on birth control, you want to sort this out. So many women who are cycling naturally figure it out intuitively. They kind of eventually get into a pattern and maybe they're forced to pick up someone's book and start to you know, figure this out so that by the time they get into those premenopausal years, they're already used to changing their schedule when they're tired before their period starts. They're already used to getting more rest or eating better or whatever it is. They're already used to this cyclical dance. And so then, you know, if you experience some of those symptoms in menopause, maybe you're already used to taking extra care of your body. It's just a question that I have. I'm not sure if you've pondered the same thing, but if you don't have a cycle to even notify you that you're out of balance, wouldn't you potentially be more like, you know, less likely to already be ready to make those necessary changes? I agree. And I think so many women, you know, at this point, you know, they've turned their cycle off a long time ago. And, you know, one of the things that you and I see a lot of is when women come off of hormonal birth control, you know, and not really knowing the implications or the, the, the longstanding changes that your body goes through if you've been on in a while and you're you're trying to get pregnant, you know, just the the kind of time that it's going to take to get your body back on track. And that's why I think one of the next questions I want to ask really is why, and we talked a little bit about it. We touched upon it a little bit. I don't know if there's anything more you have to add about it, but why ovulation and regular consistent ovulation is so important for optimal health, despite whether you're trying to conceive or not, right? Can you just speak into that? And if you if you feel like you've kind of talked a little bit about it already, no worries. But I just want I just want to really drive this home today. <laughs> well, I mean, I can touch on it a little bit more. Um, I mean, when you have a healthy, robust ovulatory cycle that's balanced, it's not exactly you can't say it's exactly equal. But essentially, what you're having is you know the first half of your cycle, you're producing estrogen in significant amounts. In the second half of your cycle, you're producing progesterone in significant amounts. And these two hormones have different roles in the body. And so when you look at, you know, what the research has to say about it, I mean, estrogen is a proliferative hormone. It causes cells to grow. And so, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's also why we associate, you know, estrogen with fibroids with growth, with cancer, with all these different, you know, issues and challenges. And so from the menstrual cycle perspective, you know, once you have your period, you shed the functional layer of your endometrium and estrogen causes that endometrial lining to grow back. And then once you ovulate, progesterone has, it's interesting, it has initially a proliferative effect. And then from the extended period of time that you're exposed to progesterone, it actually has an anti-proliferative effect. And so progesterone and estrogen work together. Estrogen is, 
you know, I could use all kinds of analogies. Like if you just bought a house, estrogen brings in all the stuff, (laughs) but then progesterone makes it into a home. So progesterone is what directs the cells, helps the cells to mature. And so together, then progesterone could counters some of the proliferative effects of estrogen. So, I mean, it's hard to find research when you're truly finding a population of women these days who haven't used contraceptives. But when I was researching this area, there were certainly studies that I found that showed that, you know, it's suggestive that women that have normal ovulatory cycles where they're falling within that kind of normal range, that progesterone is protective against things like endometrial cancer, things like breast cancer. And so, yeah, it can be a little controversial to say, but the research supports that idea. So just to give the sense, and of course, work like Jerry Lynn Pryor, who talks a lot about the connection between progesterone and bone health. And so when you see what happens um, in terms of the bone density for women who have shortened luteal phases, who, which is a sign of lower progesterone, it actually increases our risk of having you know, issues with bone. So kind of going back to that osteoporosis. So I think these examples just highlight that it's more than just about having babies or not. It really shows us. And I think it's so funny because yeah, I get it. We make uh, estrogen and progesterone in our ovaries. And I get that we think it's just like everything's just in our uterus, but we actually have a circulatory system and we have receptors for these hormones in our brain and in our breasts and in our bones. Like it's not just the the reproductive organs, ladies. It's, It's everywhere. And I guess I could go on about this forever, but I'll just give one more analogy because I love analogies. So, you know, if I were to buy a car, if I chose to have the air conditioning or not, I mean, that doesn't change the way the engine functions, right? And it's like, we think that that's how our menstrual cycle works. Like we're like men with the menstrual cycle. And so whether it's working or not, it doesn't change anything. But unlike a car, the menstrual cycle is an integral part of the female body. And so you can't just shut it off and expect everything else to work. That's why the pill has so many side effects. So many side effects. And one of the biggest side effects that we see women coming off the, f- the pill, not only you know trying to get um, our luteinizing hormone back, but really trying to get progesterone back. That's the big one. In, in, if we're talking about reproduction, particularly, and we mentioned we talk a little bit about fertility, but girl, we both know you got to have progesterone to maintain that pregnancy. And so often I see heartbreaking that if we don't have enough progesterone, we didn't know we didn't have enough progesterone. Sometimes it can be really hard to maintain the pregnancy or to get pregnant to begin with. And so one of the biggest things that I have seen time and time again, especially you know working with women 35 and older, is that progesterone, it's always low. It's, you know, it's, I rarely run a Dutch test and progesterone is just, is thriving inside in women. And that has been the case for me too. I mean, absolutely the case for me. Um, and so I just wanted to speak into that because whether it's the reproductive, like you're getting ready to want to get pregnant or whatever that looks like, you're trying to really boost your fertility. That's that little hang up is that little progesterone is just probably not kicking the way that you want. The corpus luteum is not pumping enough of it out, especially if you've been on hormonal birth control or you've even been on the, the Manera, you know, an IUD with hormonal birth control in it. So I just wanted to, to speak into that. But also you'll notice those, those PMS symptoms are no joke when you have a low pride. That was, I was like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, you know what I'm saying? Um, right. And I was like, oh, I know my progesterone levels are low this month. Like that's definitely what's going down. And you'll feel that. I think the more we pay attention to our bodies, the more we're aware, you'll know those months where you're like, oh, progesterone probably isn't what it, what it should be this month. Because it really does affect our emotion, our mood, um, our energy levels. You know, that's that's that one hormone you'll notice if it's not at the levels that that are that are optimal or ideal for your body. Well, I mean, in a in a normal healthy cycle, so if you were to put it on a graph, then you would expect a normal arc, kind of like a bell curve, where you ovulate and then there is a surge, so it goes up, and then you know, seven days or so, so a week or so after ovulation, it actually hits that peak. And then if you're not pregnant, you would expect it to gradually, that's the key word, gradually, gradually. go down not over the next nose week. dive. <laughs> that's right. And so when you look at the, the research, so particularly about PMS, when they look at the hormone profile of women that have moderate to severe PMS symptoms, certainly the progesterone is dropping off early. So instead of having a gradual, I mean, there's multiple different ways that this can go wrong. But generally, what you're seeing is that instead of a gradual drop like it should be, it's 
you know, dramatically dropping down. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for this. So I think charting can be really helpful to start helping you to see patterns. Because what's interesting is that there can be chronic issues that continuously affect this process, but there can also be cycle to cycle. So kind of like that difference between chronic stressors and situational stressors. So I think it's really important just to note the connection that stress has in the progesterone production. So there's a lot of debate as to how this works hormonally, but I can see it with my eyes <laughs> when I'm looking at someone's chart. I can and feel so, it in my body. <laughs> and, that, and that too. <laughs> and so, I mean, so to address what you mentioned about the birth control pill, when you come off of the pill, there is a well-established temporary period of irregularity, cycle irregularity. And this is something that's not really talked about. It's a huge issue for me because when you read the research, you know, I read a lot of research, you read a lot of research. So when you read a lot of research papers, the consensus is that, you know, the pill is perfectly safe and it's a reversible contraceptive and basically it's fine. But when you read the study, they're basically saying that, you know, they, first of all, (laughs) when they select their sample size, or their participants, they are not selecting women that had issues before they went on the pill. So if you had irregular periods, no period, a variety of issues, you're, you're excluded from the study. So they're not studying you. They're studying the women that had perfectly normal cycles before. And then they're basically saying that 12 months after they came off the pill, everything's fine. So they're not talking about that period of time between coming off of it and that 12 months. So what happens is when you come off the pill, it's very common for the first several cycles post-pill to be abnormal, meaning delayed ovulation, so a a longer actual cycle, and for the luteal phase to be short for several cycles. So on average, it takes anywhere from 9 to 12 cycles for all of those parameters that we talk about to normalize post-pill. And so when you're talking about the luteal phase, it's very, very common. And most women who come off the pill have a short luteal phase for at least the first several cycles. And so certainly that can, uh, I don't want to make set out the impression that you can't get pregnant right off the pill because women do, and it can happen. Any cycle with ovulation, pregnancy can happen, but certainly it doesn't help statistically. And there is, you know, there's research to show that it typically does take twice as long for conception to occur. So just to kind of point out that aspect, but I don't want women to think that if you've been on the pill, it'll never get better. We can, because after a certain point, we can't blame the pill anymore. So if you're past that first 9 to 12 cycles, we can't blame the pill anymore for your low progesterone. We have to start looking for what else it could be. So once we kind of move away from looking at the pill, then there's a lot of basic things we want to be looking at. You know, you want to be looking at your sleep. Are you sleeping? Are you sleeping in the dark? So, you know, if you have light exposure all night, (laughs) if you've got the TV on or whatever, that can certainly negatively impact your hormones. If you're not getting enough to eat, if you're working out five to seven days a week and you're not eating enough to compensate for your energy expenditure. So there's a lot of basic things you want to look at, I would say, before you jump into all the other stuff. But if you're still seeing this consistent pattern, then you have to start looking at endocrine issues, thyroid issues, uh, if there's any underlying infections, any, you know, what could be triggering your immune, your immune system? What could be causing chronic inflammation? What is the reason why, you know, your body's basically like stressed out and the progesterone production isn't happening. Hmm. I guess also another indicator is if you went onto the pill for a particular reason. And I wish we could say that because of going on the pill, voila, magic wand, everything's fixed. But most likely what you were struggling with before the pill is probably what you'll be struggling with after the pill if it hadn't exacerbated. And so I know for a lot of women, that is oftentimes why they come onto the pill. And I wish that wasn't true, but most likely you're going to, you're going to probably see some of the same similar things that you were dealing with. Maybe that nine months out, you may still have irregularities just because of the pill, but then, you know, maybe things aren't still clearing up. And so still all the things you recommended, they got to go and and look at. Well, and that's such an important point because our society is real interesting how it, you know, air quotes addresses problems. And so you could put any kind of period symptom in there. If you had, you know, really ridiculous, uh, horrific period pain and you were put on the pill for that, you know, some women come off of it years later and their periods are different, but many women come off and still have the pain. 
you know, if you had long irregular cycles. And that's a really important point. So that's something that I talk about in the fifth vital sign where we're not really being told that. So if you have, you know, long irregular cycles, you're put on the pill and you're told that it regulates your cycle. So you think that the problem is over, but they're not really telling you what it's doing. So me with my analogies, like if you're, you know, if your fire alarm is going off because you have a grease fire in the kitchen and then you just like unplug it. The grease fire didn't go anywhere. (laughs) So like when you plug it back in, it's still going to be going off. And this is essentially what we're doing to our cycles. So this is not about alarming women or, or trying to scare them, but I feel that we need this information. So if you know that you were put on the pill for an issue, then you need to know that that issue is very likely still there. And so when you're thinking about how to plan ahead for pregnancy, it's worthwhile to consider coming off the pill quite a bit sooner. A lot of women come off the pill, you know, a couple months before they're ready to, to start trying. I say a minimum of 18 months to two years. And I know that that sounds like a really long time, but especially if you were put on the pill for a specific problem, then I would certainly encourage you to think of it. It's like buying insurance. You hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. If you come off the pill and you had a history of irregular cycles and it doesn't, you know, your first ovulation and period doesn't happen for the first six months, then it's so much better to have that happen when you're not actively trying to have a baby. Give yourself some time to like sort this out. Yeah. Thank you so much for touching upon that. I, I mean, we touched, we hit all the heavy points, right? all the big points when it comes to navigating our cycle, what we should be looking out for, common symptoms or common issues that could be happening. And then the real talk around hormonal contraceptives and what that looks like, how that can impact our ovaries and what it can do to progesterone. I'm so glad we, we got to shine a little limelight on progesterone today. Sometimes she gets the bump for um, queen estrogen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, progesterone doesn't get enough love. Does not, and I have all the love for progesterone. So I'm so grateful we got to spend some time talking about her today. You have, I have a series of different things, little gifts that um, I can choose from. You got so many yummy goodies. But I, I guess I'm just going to choose and then we'll get the link for it all. But I think would be really great um, for my, for my audience is the, um, I would love for them to, to get the first chapter of the fifth, the fifth vital sign. And I've got the link for that. Unless there was something that you thought would be like really ideal for this audience. Well, I mean, I think that that's great. Of course, if you enjoyed what we talked about today, the fifth vital sign book.com, you can certainly check out the first chapter for free. And I mean, lots of goodies I've got. Well, you'll share them all. It depends. If you have ladies who are listening who are in conception mode and they're intrigued by how they can identify ovulation with their menstrual cycle and all the fertility awareness techniques, then I've got a great program, Conceiving with Fertility Awareness. That is free. (laughs) So fertilityfriday.com slash TTC, like trying to conceive. So lots of goodies. And then you got a freebies page, which I mean, that just sounds (laughs) delectable. All the freebies. So we'll have the links for the freebies. We'll have the links for conceiving with fertility awareness. And I know Lisa and I spent so much time talking about why books are so important for us as women. And so I think getting the first chapter of the fifth vital sign, but honestly, I just think you guys should go buy the book, go on Amazon, buy the book, just take care of it right then and there. Maybe you could share that the fifth vital sign with a friend, the first chapter with a friend. I know that as we think about ourselves in this conversation today, you know, you start to expand your thoughts to all the women that you know. There's so many women that really need to hear this message, need to hear this interview. So if there are women in your life that you feel are navigating their menstrual cycle, don't really know what's going on, not exactly sure what the pill is doing for them or not doing for them. I'd love for you to bring them over to this episode or tell them about the book, The Fifth Vital Sign. Lisa, where can we get more of you? We'll have the links and the freebies and the goodies, but where else can we plug into you? Well, thank you so much for that. So the Fertility Friday podcast is a great way to hear lots and lots more about fertility awareness and related topics. So just, you know, search Fertility Friday in your favorite podcast player. And I've got a lot of interesting and uh, provocative posts over on my Fertility Friday Instagram. Instagram. (laughs) So it's fun. So at Fertility Friday, um, lots of important topics that we go through there. I love to put your your posts in my stories. (laughs) And I'm always like, yes. Yes. I you just know? like say things. I'm like, yeah, should I do it? Yeah, I'll just say it. Yeah. she. I'm like, she said it. <laughs> I'm going to put it up here. I love it. 
Um, the other thing I wanted to just say really quickly that Lisa's Fertility Friday podcast is incredible and it is the hot, it is the hot topic. People love it. So it's well, well, very highly rated on iTunes. Just going to shout her out right now. Um, So it is definitely worth checking it out. They get in it. And so I just wanted to just speak into that. It is, you want to, you want to be where the action's at and her podcast (laughs) is where the action is at. Well, thank you so much for that. It's it's honestly been so fun. I mean, I had you on my podcast. We'll have to share the episode that we did together about your amazing book. So thank you, honey. Well, it was such a pleasure. Um, we'll have all the links inside of the show notes for this episode. Lisa, oh my gosh, thank you for doing the work that you're doing in the world, girl. It was so good to connect with you. And thank you for all the, the information and the knowledge that you shared with us today. It was very eye-opening. I know it's going to shift a lot of our perspectives around how we take care of our bodies and how we approach our bodies moving forward. Well, thank you so much for having me again. It was a pleasure. I am so grateful for this conversation today. I wholeheartedly agree with Lisa about valuing our cycle as an indicator of our overall health and the ways in which we can monitor, chart, and figure out what is going on with us. Now, recently, I saw an article celebrating the ability to have us turn off our menstrual cycle with birth control, and it lit me up. There is still so much confusion around our periods and our menstrual cycle and the important it plays on our health, especially our reproductive health. Now, if you want to learn more about how your cycle works and you want to understand what's going on with your body, I do have all of these amazing goodies that Lisa is offering today. And the two that I'm super excited to share is one, her Conceiving with Fertility Awareness. It's her free online course. And then all of the amazing bonuses that she talked about as well. So both of those links will be in the show notes for episode 220. And or you can go to the website, drmarisa.com slash podcast, find episode 220, and voila, the links are there too. And I just want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. On this next episode, on the Q&A Friday, I'm continuing my conversation on thyroid health. As you can tell, it's all interconnected. Um, But one of the things I want to be talking about is really one of the biggest reasons why we're struggling with thyroid issues today. And that is the root cause of Hajimoto's and then how to address this autoimmune condition that leads to low thyroid function. So I'm really excited to dive into this. This was a, this is the autoimmune condition that I have. This is the autoimmune condition that I've been keeping in remission, working on for over the last couple of years. And so I've learned a lot, not only in my own journey, but also in all the research that I've read in helping millions of women not only become aware that they've got Haji's, but also what we can do on a holistic and medical standpoint to begin to address it head on. So I look forward to seeing you later on this week. Until then, have an amazing week. Bye.